If you then, being evil, if you by nature who are fallen in evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is Senior Pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are nearing the end of our study in the Book of Romans, and yesterday in a message entitled, Effective Corporate Prayer, Pastor Brogy from Romans 15, verses 30 to 33, began a look at how the church is called as a unified body to be in prayer for those who minister the gospel, as well as for those who believe in Christ as their only hope for salvation. As we pick up today, Dr. Brogy notes that the prophet Isaiah noted that the church age would both begin and end in a time of darkness. And just as martyrs at the time of the Apostle Paul oftentimes were beheaded for their faith in Christ, this form of murder, which seems almost archaic, has amazingly made a resurgence in our 21st century, which is beginning to look as dark as the first century. What if a group like ISIS came in here today? They said, renounce Christ and you live. Believe in Christ and you lose your head. Those days are coming, my friend. They are here. And many of God's people are beginning to see it. Verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So seeing how much popularity he gained with these unbelieving Jews by taking James' head off, now he proceeds to arrest another apostle. And we're told that this arrest takes place during the days of unleavened bread. That's a significant historical footnote. Why does he do it now? Because over two million Jewish pilgrims would pack the city of Jerusalem for this day. It was one of three required feasts that a Jew had to come. And so there he is. He's in prison. But there was also an agreement that the Jewish people had that there would be no executions during the holiday. Now, we don't know how far they are into this seven-day feast of weeks, but Peter's in prison, and he can count down the number of days that they have a planned execution. Verse 4, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers, a Roman squad, a a Roman tetradion. The Greek text uh, speaks of four soldiers. In other words, there's four groups of four, 16 soldiers. Guarding this apostle. Two that he's changed to, chained to. There's a plurality of those who are at the door. Probably two there. And then spread throughout the whole prison. Why such a need? Because Herod already knew of what took place in Acts 5. And the prison break that God had brought about. And he didn't want history to repeat itself. And so verse 4 tells us that Herod was intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. For what purpose? to have a public, showy execution to gain the approval of the unbelieving Jewish people. Well, news spreads fast, and so God's people gather. At this point, the church, for the most part, is almost all Jewish there in this city. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in the prison, but, and that's a very important but, because it denotes a change that it's going to happen as it relates to Peter, but prayer 
for him was being made fervently by the church to God. So outwardly, the situation looks hopeless. James has already been executed, and Peter's death is going to take place after Passover. From a human perspective, it's utterly impossible. They can't organize a mob to storm the prison and to free him. They certainly have no clout. They are a despised first century minority. They have no political clout to go and to talk to Herod over the situation. And so what do they do? They do the only thing they can do, and that is to pray. Now, the intelligentsia would sneer at that, but I can tell you one person who doesn't sneer at it, and that's the devil. Because the devil trembles when even the weakest Christian prays. And so the door is shut for these believers. There's one door that's open, and it's straight up into the heavens. And they pray. You know, people tell me, well, we can't pray in school. That's nonsense. You can pray anytime, anywhere you want to pray. I prayed my children all the way through college, all the way through graduate school. They'd call me in law school and business school and college. Dad, I got an exam in three minutes, and we'd pray together. You can pray wherever you want to pray. The problem is we don't pray. The problem is we don't take the initiative. So Peter, we're told, was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Prayer ought to be our first resort, not our last resort. Prayer was made, notice, for him. We're talking about specific prayer here. They have a specific prayer. Oh, God, you know your servant, Peter. We bring him today to your throne of grace. And notice, too, it says it was being made. Some of your translations just say was made. The NASB captures it beautifully, was being made, because it's a tense in Greek that is talking about continual, persistent prayer. Look at verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in the front of the door were watching over the prison. So the order for the execution had been signed. Peter's supposed to die the next day, and he's out like a light. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. But even the brilliant presence of a light of a holy angel from God doesn't wake this man up. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. The angel had to give Peter an elbow or a wing, I don't know. And he said, get up, Peter, get up. He is sound asleep, a guard on either side. The bright light doesn't wake him. He has to be roused. Why is it? Knowing that his execution is the next day, how is it that he can sleep so well? Because of a promise he had from Jesus Christ. It's recorded in John 21. Let me read it to you. Jesus said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Peter, in your old age, when you grow old, you will not have the same freedom you have as a young man. Someone else will gird you. Someone else will stretch out your hand. Someone will bring you and lead you where you do not wish to go. That's a Hebraism. It's a euphemism for crucifixion. So Peter can raise him. Look, I'm not an old man, he must have thought. Jesus promised me it wouldn't be until I am an old man that I will stretch out my hands 
and crucify me. I'm not going to die by beheading, and I'm certainly not going to die now. And so he sleeps like a baby. And some of us would sleep a whole lot better at night if we knew some of the promises of God and we claim them by faith. Verse 8, and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He's, he's groggy. He's under angel dust. I don't know. But when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel departed him in typical angel form. Angels will come. They will serve God's people. They're typically in a hurry to discharge their duty. And once they're done, they vanish. And so he's suddenly gone. And here's Peter. And he, he kind of wakes up. Look at verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he realizes this is not a vision. This is actually happening. When he came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting, namely his execution. He wakes up, he says, this is not a dream, I'm free. God has checkmate Herod and Peter loves it. And when he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. Now, don't miss that. Here they are in this prayer meeting. Oh, Lord God, we need Peter. We need him for the work of the kingdom. God, please deliver your servant Peter. And Peter shows up at the door. She recognizes his voice. She's overjoyed by this situation, forgets to open the door, and runs back into the prayer meeting. And they said, Peter's outside. And they say to her, verse 15, you're out of your mind. The word mind here is mania. We get our word maniac. But she kept insisting that it was so. But they kept saying, it's his angel." referring loosely to what today we call a guardian angel. But they weren't praying for the deliverance of his angel. They were praying for Peter. But Peter continued knocking. And the tense indicates it's an ongoing knocking. He's knocking and knocking probably till his knuckles are red. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. That's mild compared to what the Greek text says. You could translate it, they were stunned. Now, I love the realism of the Bible. It seems rather ironic that these people are fervently praying not for the deliverance of Peter's angel, but Peter himself. And when he finally shows up, they're stunned, they're amazed. But lest we be too hard on them, suppose I came to you today and I said, you know your mother that you've been praying for for over 20 years to become a believer? I've got great news for you. She received Jesus Christ today as her personal Savior. Some of you would say, you've got to be kidding me. That's what they do. And so Peter quiets them down, verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. He gives God all the glory. But what I want you to see from this illustration is this is precisely what Paul is talking about in Romans 15.30. About sunagonizomai. 
about agonizing, about struggling together. This is no 10-minute prayer meeting. They're praying through the night. They agonize together. And so effective prayer, effective corporate prayer, there's a fervency to it. It's sustained by fervency. God's people don't give up. Third and finally, I want you to see effective prayer is driven by preciseness. Back here in Romans 15, it is driven by preciseness. Now, I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul asked the church at Rome to pray for three specific requests in verses 31 and 32. His requests concern both his visit to the city of Jerusalem and then to the city of Rome. In regards to Jerusalem, he has two needs. Notice, I want you to pray first that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Now, you can read the book of Acts to fill in the details. But in summary, let me just say that on all of Paul's missionary journeys, especially the third one, when he writes this request, he's being dogged by Jewish brethren. It's Jewish people on Jewish people. Unbelieving Jews on those who are Jews who recognize Jesus as Messiah. And of course, while he's en route to Jerusalem, he says when Agabus the prophet comes and warns him, Paul says, I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he asks these Christians in Rome to pray for his deliverance. He has a promise from God, as we'll see in a moment, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to go to Rome. But he wants to accomplish the purpose that God has for him when he goes to those cities. And so he asks for deliverance. And of course, when he gets there, there's opposition there's confrontation, there's persecution. Look at his second request in verse 31, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and number two, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. This too is a specific request, because he's asking prayer for a very sensitive situation. Pray that my service, what does he mean by service? Again, the Acts of the Apostles fill it in. There's a lot going on in the city of Jerusalem at this time. Not only is there a famine where some of God's people are hungry, but there's intense persecution. If you are a Jew and you say Jesus is Messiah, then your fellow Jews will ostracize your businesses. They will have nothing to do with you. You can read about it in the book of Hebrews. And so these believers are really struggling. And Paul gets wind of it. And so he's on his third missionary journey and he's going from Gentile church to Gentile church to Gentile church and he's collecting and offering money so that when he gets to Jerusalem and the people who are carrying it for him, that they can buy food for the saints who are there. And he's asking, look, pray that my service might prove acceptable. Why? Because the Judaizers were all around these Jewish Christians saying, listen, if you accept anything from Paul, then you are embracing Paul, and Paul does not embrace Moses. And so he's asking for prayer that the Jewish-Gentile solidarity would in no way be harmed or hindered, that God would fulfill his prayer. Now follow closely, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. That's prayer request number one, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. That's number two. Look at his third request in relationship to Rome, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now that may sound selfish, but it's really neat. 
He is out there on the front lines. He's engaged in spiritual battle. And if you've ever been engaged in ministry on the front lines, whether it's teaching children or working in VBS or you're a pastor or you're a missionary, then you know the exhaustion that it brings. When I travel overseas, I'm usually in ministry from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed day after day, from the time I get picked up at the airport to the time they drop me off. And Paul recognizes when he gets to this city, he doesn't be, he doesn't want to be worn out. He doesn't want to be cranky. He wants to have rich fellowship with the people of God. And as he said in the opening chapter, he wants to be encouraged by their faith and they by his faith. By the way, these are very specific prayers. These are not generalized prayers. And some of us pray just generalized prayers. Oh, Lord, save the lost. God, comfort the bereaved. Heal the sick. Because somewhere, somehow, somebody is sick or lost or bereaved. And, you know, God answer that prayer. And you don't really know whether he's done it or not. It's what I call safe prayer. But we need to pray specific prayer. And it is only as you pray specific prayer that you can come in faith, that you can come believing. Generalized prayer is like the guy who says, yeah, pastor, someday, you know, I want you to come over, you and your family, we'll have dinner together. That's kind of general. But another brother says, hey, pastor, I got five of the thickest, juiciest steaks, and they're going to be on the grill Sunday night at five o'clock. Come on over. Now we're down to business. And some of us need to go to business in our prayer. It's not, Lord, save the sick, save the lost, but Lord, help my next door neighbors, John and Helen, who are lost, who need salvation, and, and give me courage to, to invite them over for dinner. And when they come over for dinner, give me an open door to share the plan of salvation with them. And then everything changes. And you begin to see the hand of God move. Some of you might do well to have a prayer journal. I did it as a new Christian where I'd write down the prayer request and date it when it was answered, and it was a real faith builder to me. Sometimes Christians will say, when I take prayer requests, well, Pastor, I have an unspoken request. What does that mean? I don't even know when that started or where that came from in the history of the church, but if you think about it biblically, it's really pretty silly. Because if you don't share a specific request, then no one can really agree with you concerning the need. Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. In the context of this text and other passages, Jesus speaks of prayer, specific prayer, in his name and according to his will. And when two or more agree, it will be done. Now, sometimes a person, their heart is so filled with grief, they can't share it. Then it would be better to say, I've got a need in my life and my heart is so broken, pray for me. Okay, I can agree for that. I can, I can pray for your broken heart. But if you can't even say that, then you might as well just say nothing and just give it to your heavenly father. God answers specific prayer. Gasp. God answers specific prayer. And so corporate prayer, as this verse underscores in verse 32, is how? By the will of God. That's a very significant statement here in verse 32. Now, Paul already has a promise from the Lord Jesus. Do you remember in Acts 23? Let me read to you, Acts 23, 11. Jesus appeared to him one night in a dream, and he said to him, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So he can claim that he is going to Rome in faith, but he does not know the timing. 
He doesn't know how God is going to pull this off. And remember, real prayer is not trying to get God to do your will, but it's your aligning the will of God with your own life. And so he's praying like in 1 John 5, 14, according to the will of God. And so then he prays for them. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, we might ask a question. Was his prayer answered? Did the church at Rome who interceded on Paul's behalf, did this prayer get answered? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. Yes. He makes it to Jerusalem. He's arrested, if you remember. He's imprisoned. But he's rescued from a lynching. He's rescued from a scourging. And then there's a plot to kill his life, and he's rescued from that as well. And yes, the gift, the monetary gift was given because Luke records that when he testifies before Felix. And yes, he did reach Rome, but I'm sure probably not as he thought. He came as a prisoner. He came almost after a fatal shipwreck, but he came three years later according to the providential will of God. Let me close with this thought. Jesus made this statement in Matthew 7. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And the Greek language, as noted in the New American Standard margin, marginal notes, the thought is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Because God is on his sovereign timetable. You think Paul thought it was going to take three years to get to Rome? Probably not. But God is in control. And then Jesus, to encourage us to persevere, he asks a rhetorical question. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give, he will not give him a snake, will he? Obviously, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a stone because the stone is not edible. And if your son asks him for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake because that would be dangerous. If you, here's the application, if you then, being evil, if you by nature who are fallen and evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now, there are two words in Koine Greek for good. One word that describes something that appears to be good, but in reality is not really good for us. The other word for good is a word that used to describe something that is intrinsically good. And the Lord Jesus is saying, listen, if you come to your heavenly father and you ask him for something that appears to be good and it is not, then he will not give it to you. He will only give you that which is intrinsically good. So we need to thank God, number one, that he answers specific prayer, but we also need to thank God that at times he denies specific prayer because he is a good God. You may think you're asking for a loaf of bread, but in reality, you're asking for a stone. When I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, we had chapel four days out of the week, and I remember a pastor from Indiana coming to speak to us. And he shared about an event that had happened 20 years. It was the first time he had shared it publicly, and he said it took him 20 years to share it. We were all on the edge of our seats. He had a 12-year-old son who had been asking him and asking him for two years to give him one of these motorized go-karts. And finally, on his 12th birthday, he gave him the go-kart. 
And his son zoomed up and down that sidewalk day after day. And one day he lost control, went out into the street, and he was run over by a dump truck and killed. And that pastor said that the Lord had told him more than once, Father, the next time you do not give me what I want, remind me that I may be asking you for a go-kart. Our Heavenly Father answers prayer because He is a good God. He intrinsically knows what is best. Our God answers prayer not only because He is good, but because He is wise. You think you are asking Him for a loaf when you may be asking Him for a stone, and you may be asking Him for a stone, and He won't give you that either. When my dad was alive, he would do anything for me that he could. But he was limited. But I have a Father in heaven who is sovereign, who is unlimited. A Father in heaven who can hear me as a Father and He can give me what I need as a King. And why does He answer prayer? Because He is a good God. Because He is a wise God. Because He is an all-powerful God. What a mighty God we serve. And we are very foolish when we do not pray. The best thing you can do is to learn to pray. And the way you learn to pray is not simply by reading some book on prayer. It is by praying. Now, some of us have no promises to prayer because you have no certainty of your salvation. And if in the back of your mind you're unsure whether or not you will go to heaven, you probably will not. Because that's the tenor of the New Testament. Because probably in the back of your mind, you are thinking, I'm not sure I am good enough. And the fact is, God says, you're not good enough. And you must come as a bankrupt sinner, helpless, unable to be your own Savior, and cast yourself fully on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone to save you. There is no hope for you apart from Christ. But if you've done that, then you've opened the door to the promises of God in prayer. And we need to pray not just individually, but we need to pray corporately. Let's bow together. Maybe you're here and you're unsure of your eternal destiny. I'd like to help you to receive Jesus Christ right now. Why don't you pray this in your heart after me? Dear God in heaven, talk to him from your heart. Dear God in heaven, dear Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I confess that my sin deserves judgment, that it deserves punishment in hell. But I thank you that your son came to take that judgment, that on his cross he took the penalty for my sin. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you paid with your own blood my debt and that you were raised from the dead. And so today I ask you like a child to save me. And because you've saved me, I will spend the rest of my life living for you I will openly confess you before man and be involved, as your word says, in a local church. Father, help some dear soul today to reach out in genuine faith. Now, our Father, like the apostles who came to your son who said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to really pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's message from Romans 15 entitled Effective Corporate Prayer, download the Search the Scriptures app. There you can listen to the entire Roman series. 
Just search for Search the Scriptures with Dr. Brogy in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a hard copy by calling STS at 877-787-7478 and ask for program ROM71. And when you call or visit, consider becoming a financial partner with Search the Scriptures to help us spread the gospel and to encourage the body of Christ. Tomorrow we enter the last chapter of Romans in a message entitled, Snapshot of God's Church. Join us then as we search the scriptures.